Greetings to everybody. You know, McAllister, I, I haven't been here a whole lot, but it does bring back <laughs> some wonderful memories. As he was mentioning R.K., that was my grandfather, and uh, I was sitting there this morning thinking, I remember R.K. Walker. When he would preach, he would always start with a coat, suit coat on, and before very long, it came off. <laughs> I don't think he ever, that I saw, he ever finished his sermon with a suit coat on. And he'd roll his sleeves, sleeves up, and boy, he'd go to preaching. <laughs> yeah, wonderful, wonderful memories of the walkers. We, we, we claim Brother Wesley anyway. <laughs> If he can tolerate us, then then we can we certainly claim him. In fact, uh, when I thought about speaking here this morning, I thought, boy, Brother Wesley is a wonderful teacher, wonderful preacher, and it probably isn't anything I could say that he hadn't already said. Uh, and but sometimes it's always good to hear a little bit different viewpoint of the same thing because it'll sharpen our thought process and that's um, that's what I'm going to do this morning you know we are in we're in a bad situation here in the world but in America especially that that I see uh, or just about to see, you know, before, when you look at the Bible and study the Bible, before God brings a judgment on a people, he always brings calamities and disasters to try to wake them up, to try to bring them to the point of repentance and to come to him. In other words, there's always a chance for that before he brings the judgment that he said he will do. And in my mind, I see that beginning to happen, even with the weather, with everything else around. You know, um, I see prophecy. I'm not going to talk on prophecy, but I see prophecy coming together. Just uh, recently, the uh, country of Iran gave Russia permission to use its airfields to do bombing over there, you know, and that's never happened before. Well, when you look at prophecy, they're all going to come. So you see this thing beginning to come together. Anyway, I, what the, the devil, at least he's after me all the time, <laughs> and I hate to admit how many times I stumble, but God is so forgiving. His mercy is so wonderful. And we, uh, you know, the statement, we are saved by grace, is a statement I want to talk about today because I want to, us to understand it's one of Satan's biggest weapons that he's using right now in this country. Two, he has two real strong weapons, you know, the many different Bibles that are out there. They don't agree with each other. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll give you an example. When I was over in uh, uh, Nigeria, 
I was teaching about the Sabbath. I teach about uh, the God's uh, covenant, you know, the Ten Commandments, His the way you're saved, salvation. And there was a uh, they're they're working real hard over there. The guy that I'm working with, uh, Okoro, Ambrose Okoro is his name. And he has, he's, is able to gather a lot of the Sunday preachers and people together so that I was able to teach about the Sabbath and the all Ten Commandments, but especially focusing on the Sabbath because we're talking to good people. You know? These are wonderful people. And the, one of them sitting there is a doctor of theology degree and he has over 19 churches and he said when I was done he said to me he said I have never heard it presented that way before here's a doctor of theology but it's it's how God I'm a simple person and God had to get simple with me for me to understand it. And I try to teach it simple. And that's one of the ways we're going to look at grace this morning. Um, and I know that many times we get kind of discouraged, but this, this also, I guess I'll talk about this in just a second. Many years ago, my father, Frank Walker, uh, gave me a letter from a, a gentleman in the nation of Ghana, G-H-A-N-A, -A, over in Africa. And uh, he was a young man, and he was discouraged with the church. He was discouraged with what was going on. He was discouraged with the teaching. He didn't think properly it was right. And anyway, I <coughs> counseled with him by mail. You know, just uh, writing back and forth and encouraging him and, and explaining some things to him. You know, explaining both how humanity is, but what the Bible has to say and how God works with us. Uh, and he quit writing to me. And his uh, last letter wasn't, he wasn't real, real thrilled. And I completely forgot about it. And I went to Ghana. This was several years later. So I guess what I want you to understand is we never know how much that we say that it means to other people, how they will take it to heart. And it will. God, God's the one that brings the increase, not us. All we can do is give the word of God and do the best we can with it, and it's his word that does the work. All right. Anyway, I was over there staying in a hotel room in uh, the city. We I can't even remember the name of the city now that that we were at, and this young man heard that I was in town, uh, town of a million some people. But anyway, he heard that I was in town. And he came and looked me up, and he thanked me and told me that he's an assistant pastor in a Sabbath-keeping church over there in Ghana. 
And I'm just saying, well, hallelujah, you know? And that was years later, okay? So we never know. Sometimes, you know, when we look around, we say, boy, there's not many of us left. Don't get discouraged. It's still one-on-one. -on -one. You are still a light. You still have power through the Word of God. He will make the occasion. You just have to be ready to accept that occasion and to speak what God lays on your heart. Uh, you know, I know he, he brings thoughts to my mind that never, never thought about. I better get to the message. I, I get a little long sometimes. I was mentioning this last night. Uh, I do get a little long when I speak. Uh, people, Many people say, praise the Lord when I come. <laughs> About half the church does, and the other half says, praise the Lord when I finally get done. <laughs> so I say, well, hallelujah. At least I got everybody say, praise the Lord. <laughs> so anyway, just want you to realize how happy I am to be here. It is a real blessing. And you are blessed to have each other and the wonderful pastor that you have, Brother Walker. Bow your heads with me. Merciful God in heaven, we thank you so much. You are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Israel. And we come to you this morning, Father. And we acknowledge, I acknowledge, my inadequacy. I ask your forgiveness for the things that I don't do well, the things I do wrong. I'm so thankful, Lord, to be here with a group of your children, Father. We're all brothers and sisters with you, under you, Father. I ask your presence to be here. I ask you to bless those words, bless the thoughts. May we all walk away with a blessing that come directly from you. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to talk about the grace of God because that's one of Satan's big weapons. Uh, I'm not going to turn there, but, you know, John 1.17, a whole lot of the preachers uh, go to that one and they start out and say, you know, Moses gave us the law, but Jesus Christ gave us the gospel or grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Okay, and then they go on from there. And nobody understands. We, in fact, if you went right now and you asked the average person that's going to church, stop asking when they come out of church, what does grace mean? What is it? They would tell you, well, forgiveness is probably the biggest word you're going to hear. You say, give me one word that will describe grace. And some of them may say, Eternity, you know, uh, but forgiveness. And, and many people use the grace of God as an excuse not to work harder, to serve God, not to, they use it as an excuse to make mistakes. And that should not be. 
So I thought, let's we'll take a, a serious look at grace. And like I said, I'm a simple person, so I, I like to go back. I want to set the stage. I want to go back to creation when I start talking about grace. But uh, in 2 Timothy, I'm going to read a few verses just to get us set. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And verses, uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And that's where we are right now. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And boy, does that not describe us. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And, and it goes on down, you know, without natural affections, in other words, homosexuality, etc. It's all there. All right. He goes down. Jump down to verse 5. Actually, verse 4. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They, verse 5 says they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They deny the power. A form of godliness, but deny the power. He says, hey, you get away from them. From such turn away. No, 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 no. Don't. Don't. That's not for you. All right. Now, before I really get into talking about this, I also want you to turn back to what Jesus had to say in Matthew, the seventh chapter, because I want this to be in your thought process as we talk about the grace of God. Matthew 7, and beginning verse 21. This is Jesus himself talking. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. All right, I want to stop right there now. Think about what, what Jesus just said. He said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. So we're not talking about the bum laying on the gutter or the alcoholic laying out behind the bar or the drug addict. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody coming to him and saying, Lord, Lord. He's talking about people walking into churches. Just like uh, Paul uh, just said back there in Timothy that we read. So I want you to understand they're both there. We have the one foundation that the Bible tells us that we have the one foundation which is built on the apostles and the prophets. That's another factor you need to put in your mind. Apostles and prophets. You got the plan of salvation. This foundation, the prophets were teaching the same one that the apostles were teaching. And Jesus Christ is a chief cornerstone that everything's built off of. And we'll see that in just a little bit. But anyway, it is important for us to understand that Jesus just said, hey, just because you're going to church, just because you're saying my name, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? 
Verse uh, run down to um, or eight, well, verse twenty-two. Many will say to me in that day, "Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied or preached in your name?" And in your name have we not cast out devils? And in your name have we not done many wonderful things, works? Okay? Now, how does Jesus answer that? Because these are people that are attending church, that are walking out of church. He's talking to them, but these people are saying, man, we have been serving you. That's what they're saying. Lord, we've been doing these things. And Jesus says in verse 23, he says, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Uh-oh. Now that's a scary thought when you think about it. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Go away. Mm -mm. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but that word iniquity uh, in the Greek comes from two words, nomos, which is N-O-M-O-S, which means law. And the A, when they put it word with it, it's anomos. The A means anti, and their anti means not just against, but it's with an anger. It is totally against. So this iniquity means against law. When you, when you chase it down, spend the time to chase that word iniquity. It is people that are against God's law. People that are against law is what that actually means. Okay? So it's uh, Jesus is very serious because God had a plan of salvation that we're going to look at here. And it started from the, at the beginning of the kingdom. It started before creation, actually. Um, before, I, before I get into that, I, I want to, while we're in the New Testament, before I get into the Old Testament, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, because I want us to understand the basic purpose of God's grace. Okay, it says Hebrews twelve twenty eight says, "Whereby we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace." Okay, that's what we want. That's what we need. Let us have grace. Whereby, in other words, so that we may serve God acceptably with reverence reverence and godly fear. That is the purpose of the grace, so that we can serve God acceptably. And that's what Jesus was talking about. The same thing. These people are saying, Lord, Lord, are not serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Okay. So what is a problem that we have in this world that we know about? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, as a matter of fact. One, oh, before I get there, I want you to understand something. Take, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Still talking about grace. 2 Timothy Chapter 1 and verse 9 says, 
Well, I want to back up and read verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, that be Jesus, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, okay, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He called us according to his purpose, for his purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Oh, my. A lot of people take this and say, see, there you go. Jesus was there. He was there before the world ever began. That's not what that said. It was given to me in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, I know I'm an old duffer, but I'm not that old. I was not back there. What that is is a promise that the, the grace was promised to us before the world ever began. And when you think about this, as we go on and let this thought register in your mind, it is an awesome thought that grace was actually there, promised to us, to you and I, and so was Jesus before this world ever began. It was a promise of God, okay? Now, how about Titus, the uh, first chapter and second verse? In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Eternal life was promised to you and I before the world ever began. Okay? Grace was promised. Eternal life was promised. And uh, let's go to Ephesians, the uh, first chapter there. I'm just trying to, uh, there are more scriptures than what I'm using, but I, I want to plant the thought in our mind of what the Bible is really teaching. <clears throat> and then we're going to go back to creation and begin to think about this. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, and read verse 4. Wait a minute, let's, here again, let's read verse 3, set the stage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us. Now that's every person sitting in this room. He has chosen us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Here again, before this world was created, salvation was promised. Jesus was promised. plan of salvation was there. You and I were promised eternal life before this world was created that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
wonderful scripture. All right. You remember in Genesis the uh, the problem that Adam and Eve had? They were working, living in a perfect world. Absolutely perfect. The lion and the sheep were laying down there together. The lion wasn't eating the sheep. I mean, they were just, they were friends. Everything was perfect. They could not well, in this perfect state, they had a right to the tree of life, which gives eternal life. They had that in that perfect state, okay? But they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Couldn't do that. That was a no-no. Okay? So even in their perfect world, they still had choice. They had the choice to obey or disobey, all right? Now, we know this, that they ate of that tree. So what happened when a knowledge of good and evil came into them? What came? We, got, we know that sin was there. But a lot of people will argue, well, he doesn't say the Ten Commandments or anything like that. How do we know what sin is? There's only one verse in the Bible that really describes it explicitly, and that's 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. That's sin. How much plainer can you get? Okay? If there is no sin, and that's what Paul taught, if there's no sin, there's no law. If there is sin in this world, well, in fact, let's just go. I'm saying Paul taught it. Let's do that in Romans. Uh, Romans, the fourth chapter, and the 15th verse says, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression, no sin. Period. I see into that story. Was there transgression? Was there sin after Adam and Eve ate? Okay. Verse 20 of chapter 3 in the book of Romans says. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. God's law tells us what is killing us. Okay? Let's think about this. How does a doctor or anybody try to help you and cure you? First thing you do is ask you, how are you feeling? What, what's been going on? They look for the symptoms of what is killing you, what the disease is inside of you. That's what sin is. It is a disease that is killing us, and the symptoms of it is our life. Okay? The symptoms of a up as adultery, uh, stealing, killing, 
robbery. Okay, Those are symptoms of this thing that's inside of every human being that is killing us. Okay, but anyway, going back to the first thing for us to have a cure is for us to know what the symptoms are so we can explain what the problem is. Okay. That's what sin does. So, and, and that's really what this, this is telling you. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. By the God's Ten Commandment law is how you know what is wrong. And if you don't think anything is wrong, then you're not going to look for a cure. If you think you're absolutely healthy and perfect just the way you are, there is no way you're going to listen to anybody trying to give you a cure. So the first thing we have to do is understand that the Ten Commandments, as the only thing in this entire book that tells us what sin is, the only thing. So that is the first thing you start with. Why would they want this grace you're trying to give them? If they're not even sick. I don't need your grace. Ain't nothing wrong. You know, I'm not driving a new Cadillac. What do you got? <laughs> Looks to me like you got an old Mercury. You know, I'm I'm doing better than you. Why in the world would I want that grace you're trying to tell me about? That is what we're facing. So, so one of the first things that we have to do is the first thing that God did when God looked down. Before the world began, he knows everything. He knows the future. Makes you sometimes wonder why he created everything, knowing it was going to go bad anyway. Now, it doesn't really tell me that, that I can find. But in my mind, I think because he wanted people that loved him and would serve him, period. Okay? All right, so anyway... He looked, he knew what was going to happen. And we're talking, remember, we're talking about grace. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Talk about the grace of God. So he says, hmm, I need to give them something that will show them what is wrong. So that then they will understand that they have to come or they need to come to me for the cure the knowledge of good and evil. The tree. That was there. God's Ten Commandment law was there before before creation. It was there in a tree. The knowledge of good and evil. It was there in a perfect world. You know, we hear, what we hear most of the time is we hear the negatives. Oh, you're saying you're going to die. You know, all the law does tell me what I can't do and this and that. You know, I can't be happy, basically. No, 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 no. That same law tells you what is good as well as evil. All right? How do I show 
you that I love you? Those same ones that says, do not, if I do them, in other words, if I'm not doing, the, if I'm robbing this gentleman right here, how can I say, I love you, my friend? <laughs> By the way, thanks for your billfold, you know. I'm going to tell him I'm loving him? No way. But if, I, if I'm telling him that I love him, and I'm showing him I love him by helping him, by trying to help whatever he needs. That the Ten Commandments is, when Jesus came in, in you know Matthew five, six, seven, he was teaching the Ten Commandments. People say, Well, Jesus didn't teach us about anything about commandments. He was teaching us about love, how to love. Well, the commandments tell you how to love. The first four tell you how to love God. Okay? He says, Oh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay. So if God, you are the only God. You're the God of all creation. You're the God that I love. I am showing him that I love him. Okay. You know, don't make any idol or anything else. Lord, I, I don't have anything in my house. I don't want anything else. I don't want a statue of Mary in here. You know, I, these things... I don't have them, Father, because you are the only one. I'm showing God how I love him. Okay. So the same thing we look at and say, all it says is no, 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 no. No, that thing shows you how to show God you love him. You show God you love him because he's the only one he said, remember. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You remember that. Okay? For he gave it to us. All right. When you actually go into Leviticus and Numbers, you'll find that he's saying, now you make this day a Sabbath. You do this. That will be to you like a Sabbath. Okay. But this one, in the fourth commandment, he says, no, no, no. I gave it to you. It is holy because I said it was holy. All right. So, if, that's, if what I'm saying is true, then when we come to church on the Sabbath, we're telling God we love Him. What are we saying if we don't? What are they saying? No, and I'm not saying anybody's a bad person. That's not what I'm saying. Because I can't judge it. God is the one that's going to judge but I'm telling, trying to get us to understand what God is going to judge people about. So, I'm not saying everybody's bad, but if they are not coming to church on Sabbath, they're going in on Sunday, for example, good people. But they're breaking the Sabbath. They're breaking one of the commandments. What did James say? James 2. Verse 10, you break one, you break them all. Okay? What are we doing about it? You know, we, again, just kind of a little bit of an aside, but 
We don't want to be standing out in the street corner down saying, sinner, sinner, sinner. You know, we don't want to make God look foolish. But we need to be ready. He knows who's ready. He's looking at the heart. Do you have an answer? Do you have, do you have the simple thing that I'm talking about? This is simple. When you really get it in your mind, Okay, there's uh, the people who gave Jesus a problem and the apostles a problem was not the common person. It was a leadership. Okay, who knew everything. They had it all figured out. That was a problem. Okay, that's the same problem we have today. The same one that we have right now. And that's up to God to look down. But it's our job to be ready to tell the people, just like the common people that came to Jesus and talked to Jesus and accepted what he had to say. This common people who came to the apostles. You know, on the day of Pentecost, and how many were saved that day? The Spirit and power of God was there. God knew they were ready. God will give you, make, He will set up an appointment for you. And it'll probably surprise you. In fact, <laughs> the devil may make, make it seem like an irritable thing. But God knows who needs to hear. He knows what they need to hear. And he knows if you can do it. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the spirit. He'll bring scriptures and thoughts to your mind you never knew you had if you're working with him. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, all right. So we know the problem is sin. And here again, I want to give you some scriptures. You can write them down or do whatever. But just so you have an answer, okay, for people. Romans 5, because there are some people who are going to say, uh, listen, it doesn't say the Ten Commandments. All it says is good and evil, okay? That leaves them free to evils, whatever they don't like. But what it says in Romans 5, verses 12 and 3, 12 and 13, it says, Whereby, by one man, sin entered into the world. One person, that's Adam. And death came by sin. But now what God said, you eat of this tree, you're going to die. So the one man, sin, in other words, sin, the thing we said is a, a transgression of God's law, came in in the Garden of Eden. That's what it says. Death came by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Verse 13 says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. All right. It was there. 
But the law wasn't there. Adam and Eve were still good people. They were still worshiping God. They were still walking as they should have been. Sin. Satan was in the world. He, he got in a snake, you know. So he, he was in the world. But the law was still in that tree. It was, it had not come down. So sin was not imputed until they partook of that. All right? So what I'm trying to get you to understand or think about is how to answer somebody who says, now, wait a minute. That's only said evil. Didn't say the Ten Commandments. Well, sin was there, but it was not imputed when there was no law. So there had to be a law for Adam to bring sin in. The Ten Commandments had to be there for Adam to bring sin into this world. Because <clears throat> you're talking an impossibility otherwise. All right? Now, Genesis, turn with me over to Genesis. Uh, chapter 6. Wait a minute. No, no. Before I get there. Before I get there. Chapter 4. Because remember, sin is a transgression, okay? And, and Paul, the guy that uh, all the modern teachers and preachers used to tell us that there wasn't anything going on? Well, okay. Anyway, Adam, it, Paul was even teaching us, brought in sin. Okay, chapter 4. And there's also another thing I want us, there's two things I want to, Want us to understand about. Okay, Adam knew Eve and they had two children. Okay, Cain and Abel. Though, so, you know, <laughs> you gotta blame my brother Lloyd for this one. Because <laughs> we're gonna get into this in just in the chapter four down here. Uh well, it was, I'll read it. In process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain his offering he had not respect. And so Cain got mad. All right. Verse 6, the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth, mad? And why is your countenance fallen? What are you looking so grumpy for? Verse 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lieth at the door. Unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Okay? A couple of things. Sin. But I want you to stop and think. See, there's, there's so much we don't know about what happened there. I'm showing you that even in the New Testament, they understood and are telling us that this all grace, the law, everything happened, was there before 
creation. It was brought in. Grace came in. That's a promise of Jesus Christ. Why would we need a promise of a Savior? Because God knew sin was going to come in. See? God, it's, it's His grace. He was given His children and His mercy to us before we were ever here, before this world was ever here. Grace is so much larger than we give it credit for being. It is such a wonderful thing that God would take care of us before He even made the world. He would tell us what was going to happen to us. He would tell us, I'm going to give you a Savior. I'm going to give you a cure. I'm going to help you so that you can come and spend eternity with me. My, think about that thought. Eternity with God and His wonderful Son. He says, we don't even need a, we don't even need a Son then. The brightness of God will light everything up. Wow. What an amazing thought. That's in Revelation. What an amazing thought. So anyway, it's the thoughts that I want you to understand or to think about, meditate on, and like I said, this one is kind of funny that I was thinking about sin. And evidently the Lord had been talking to Brother Lloyd about the same thing because he, he said, how about those sacrifices they had back there? You know, how did they know? How did they understand they had to sacrifice, make an offering to the Lord? How did Abraham know? We don't find it. Not till you get into... You know, Moses talking about all those sacrifices and stuff. It's because the plan of salvation. They knew the plan of salvation. God had to talk to them. Why was he telling Cain that, hey, if you do well, how did Cain know how to do well? How did Cain know what the difference was? It's not written down there. But think about it, just in plain and simple logic. And the rest of the rest of the Bible points back to that fact that they had to know why did Abraham sacrifice? Because he knew. Abraham, you remember where Abraham said? He said when he took Isaac up there and he's getting ready to slay Isaac, and Isaac says, Hey Pop. What you well, these are my words. This is Walker translation. He says, Hey Pop, what you doing? You know? That's a big night there, Daddy. Okay. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Where did it tell us? See, they understood the plan of salvation that was there. For them, that was showing that they knew that Jesus Christ was going to come. It was going to be the eternal sacrifice. There would be no more shedding of blood, but they understood from the beginning. That's why God had liked Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. 
Cain wasn't paying attention to what he should have. But the sin, disobedience, was there. So that shows us the Ten Commandments were there. Take your concordance. Look up how many times you talked in there about sin before you ever get to Exodus where the Ten Commandments were. Okay? I need to move along before somebody throws me out of here. <laughs> oh, me. So the result of that is sin. We, we know that. And we know that God promises grace. Now, so we know what the problem is. Sin. And that equals death. We all, every human being, even these young ones sitting there, has that problem, that disease inside of them. Okay? So, we know what the cure is because or the disease is there and God has given us a way to understand what the problem is. Let's go back into the book of Romans. Paul was, was teaching so much. Romans, the seventh chapter. And let's begin at verse 7. Paul said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? No, 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 no. God forbid. No, he says, I had not known sin, but by the law. Now, isn't that what he said earlier? By the law is a knowledge of sin. Okay? And now he's showing you which law. He said, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So he's showing you which law he's talking about. And verse 10 says, The commandment which was ordained to life, I found it to be unto death. And the reason was, it was pointing out what was wrong. The law is showing you what the disease is. Okay? And that he said, hey, verse 12, he says, For this reason, that's my words, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Because it's showing me what the problem is within me so that I will seek my Savior, Jesus Christ, the cure. Because I, I won't do that if I don't know what's happening inside of me. Okay. But the problem, verse 14 says, the, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I'm just human. I am flesh and blood. All right. Now, remember what I was saying about the law is good. Turn with me to Romans, the 13th chapter. Because remember, we're talking about people saying now, oh, we don't have commandments. We just want to talk about love, Jesus. That's all Jesus taught. Okay. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse 9, now he explained what law he's talking about. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, 
also not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, that's as plain as it can get. He has shown which law. The, the modern teachers and preachers try to break the law apart, but it's God's covenant. You know, when he spoke the law back in Exodus 19 and verse 5, he says, you listen to my voice. Well, that was his voice. That's his complete covenant. That's his covenant of salvation. That's grace. That's actually grace in action, telling you what to do, how to do it. So, all right, the cure. I'm, I'm running over now, so I'm going to give you some scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are made a new creature. Okay, that we're talking about the cure now. We become a new creature through Jesus. When we're saved, God makes a brand new person out of us. That's what it tells you in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. All right, what does he have to do? Because you and I cannot live a holy life. Okay, this new creature has two things that we need to recognize. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, we get a new mind. We get the mind of Christ inside of us. Just think about that. The mind of Jesus Christ, the one that wanted and loved his father so much, the one that would go up on top of the mountain and spend hours communicating with God. That's the mind that you now have inside of you. We have that mind. Okay? All right. The second thing we get is a new heart because of the way we are now, we have a heart of stone. So we get a new heart. And Hebrews 8.10, new covenant. Remember, Hebrews 8.10 tells us that we get a new heart. And Romans 10.10 10, I'm in Romans, so I'll flip over to that one. It says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We get a new heart. And in this new heart, what does it tell you? God personally puts this wonderful new heart in you that your mind can look at now, and he personally writes his law, the Ten Commandments, on this new heart. And it's in there. I, how much greater love can you get? I mean, that is so awesome. When you think about it, he gives you a brand new heart. He dwells in there. This is his words to you. How to act. What not to do. How to show him you love him. Okay. We know that 
Jesus came to do all these things, you know. But Matthew, I'm not going to go there, but Matthew 1.21 tells you that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Okay? From means we got to have the mind, we got to have the new heart, all of those things, okay? Teach us. All right, I'm going to close with this scripture in Titus, the second chapter. Chapter 2, and I want to read verse, I'm going to begin in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, so what does this grace teach us? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, your heart and mind, okay, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, right here, right now, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity or sin. So we're redeemed. And purify us unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let nobody despise you for what you believe. In Jesus' name, I thank you all. God bless us. We want to thank Brother Kenneth for the message today and we, we're, we're thankful to have him as visitors, all of them. And uh, don't forget the uh, prayer request for Ruby and Joe. And uh, Brother Ben's coming next week. Brother and Sister Walker won't be here. And Fellowship Lunch, everybody's welcome.